Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome to this episode of Cracking Addiction. And today we have with us Dr. Matthew Fry. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Fergal. So, Matthew, for the benefit of the viewers and listeners, what exactly is your specialty? So I'm an addiction medicine specialist. I work in an alcohol and drug service in Melbourne called Turning Point. I'm the clinical director of the Eastern Treatment um, branch of Turning Point in Melbourne. And uh, yeah, I've been doing that for 20 odd years or longer. Right. And that experience, of course, allows you to, you know, progress into, into what we would term as non-clinical work, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's sort of... Uh, is certainly a, a strong clinical component, and it yeah. um, tends to be work that's done by clinicians, but it doesn't involve the therapeutic aspect of um, clinician work, yeah. and it often doesn't involve actually interacting with a patient. Yeah. But the, one of the things that uh, you do is you do a lot of report writing, don't you? I do. It's something that I um, find one of the um, things I enjoy in, in medicine after all this time Um I like writing and I, I like um, the process of putting a, a, a report together. I'm not saying I do it incredib incredibly well or they have incredibly fantastic reports, but um, you know, I think anybody that enjoys what they do can make a reasonable fist of it. So, uh, mm. yeah, that's, that's why I uh, do a bit of this sort of work. So who commissions reports from you? Um, it's, look, it's a variety of um, people. It's the classic... Uh, um, stakeholder or, or requester of reports tends to be your uh, insurance companies, um, mm. uh, but there's also um, uh, the regulator, the um, APRA, the the regulator of the health professions. Um, various solicitors contact me. The coroner, often um, many opinions to the uh, Victorian coroner. Um, you know, it's it's a, this is and this is one of the interesting things. Um, uh, the, the Justice Department, the, the prisons people, you know, the interesting thing is you, you actually do get, um, it's considered dull work, I think, by people, but um, you actually do get this incredibly broad range of uh, uh, people referring or asking you to write reports from a, a wide range of areas. It's not just uh, insurance companies or, or dr um, the driving regulators or anything like that. It's, mm. it's much broader. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to understand the breadth of of referrals for reports. And you know, whilst we might think that driving and insurance are fairly banal, I mean, they do they, they are important issues. So, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the driving regulations. What, how, why is it that an addiction specialist would be writing a a report for driving? Yeah. So the 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 most common reason is um, that a um, a driver. Um, or the, um, uh, the the authority regulating drivers, um, you know, wants to know whether the um, uh, individual is can drive, basically, or how safe, or, or otherwise they are. So it might be somebody who's, you know, been roadside tested and uh, come up with um, a, a positive test for um, the drugs that they test for or alcohol, and um, you know, contesting some aspect of that, or um, uh, want to show that they're um, in recovery from. Um, whatever that was, uh, whatever drug or drug use behaviour was picked up, um, and sometimes it's they want to do that because they're commercial drivers. You know, they want to um, get back to work um, driving passenger vehicles, commercial vehicles, mm. ride share vehicles. Um, so they're, they're the sort of driver stuff that comes through my door. So there, there are two standards, aren't there, for driving? Could you explain to us what they are? 
I, I think you're referring to the the commercial, uh, and there's a few um, branches I, I uh, gather of the commercial um, uh, driver driver license, and then there's the passenger vehicle, the mm. personal, the private, there's a private, yeah, um, so private and commercial. Passenger vehicle is the wrong word, wrong term. But yeah, the private, the private yeah. license. So, um, and a higher standard is held to the um, commercial uh, the driver, the the um, passenger vehicle, the person ferrying. Um, people for work for their for their job, you know. So bus drivers and people driving large um, large vehicles that can cause a, a huge amount of damage if not driven well. Yeah, um, I mean it's understandable, isn't it? Because when when you're on the roads, you have a responsibility not only to yourself but also to other road users. And yeah, so it's it's understandable that there have to be sta- you know there have to be standards around uh, drug impairment on whilst driving. But it's not. It's it's not true to say that if you've had an episode of being drug impaired and, and being caught by the police that you're never going to drive again. You know, it's there are there are rules that that allow you to return back to the road. Would you care to explain what they are? Well, yeah. Look, I'm not a solicitor, and uh, um, but certainly um, people probably aware that um, there's uh, some now mandatory requirements for for people testing over 0.05. I believe it's. Uh, a um, alcometer and um, fitted to your car, so you've got to um, blow into this device and establish that you've not um, uh, got any alcohol on board any um, before you can start the car, otherwise it locks you out. That's called an um, interlock, isn't it? That's right, yeah, an interlock. And, yeah. um, you know, that's uh, that's now, I gather, and again, I'm, I'm not an expert on um, road law and, and road penalties, but I gather that that's now required for anybody who gets the standard um, driving uh, under the influence or over 0.05 charge um, is that they've got to get one of those fitted for I don't know for how long but um, and 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 that but they eventually I understand they eventually are able to remove that and they no longer have to have that that's not forever um, as far as I know um, and the same thing with um, uh, drug use and, and they probably I get more of those referrals for drug use because it's the area is a bit gray I, I, I believe Certainly, the test um, doesn't have the same rigor and, and value around it that we're, that our very well established um, uh, uh, alcometer, our breath test does. Um, so, but, but so so there's a little bit of uncertainty, I think, both in the interpretation of those tests and um, you know in the, in the actual accuracy of those tests to some extent. And uh, yeah, it's often a question that's asked. You know, you know, was this prescription drugs that they were using that what they claimed or you know, no drugs at all. They deny being drug affected at all, or using drugs, or um, it was just uh, a very small amount, and and that's a real, um, real challenge because a lot of these tests will not necessarily show uh, be good at showing, particularly the um, oral swabs that showing uh, amount used, um, just that it's been used and it's tripped the threshold of the test, which um, is claimed to put um, the it's claimed the threshold is at a point where they would be expected to be impairment. Um, yeah. But, you know, we don't have that rigour like we do with the, with the traditional breath test. Yeah, it's, it's just whether or not it's, the substance is found on the test. Because it's, it's a test of presence, really. It's not a test of impairment, is it? it that, that's my understanding. Mm. I mean, there's some refinements to the test and some additional tests um, mm. like we did with urine testing to clarify, um, you know, the... the that there is a, um, a prohibited drug, a drug that's prohibited to be uh, in your system when you're driving. Uh, but with 
with the alcohol test, I mean, you get a sense of how much or when the last drink was and, and uh, uh, you know, based on the decay of the reading and, and so on. But um, it's it's not quite so straightforward with uh, cannabis and um, uh, psychostimulants, which are the classic drugs they test for um, with their oral swab. Yeah. And of course, if you're if you've got a medical condition like ADHD and you're taking stimulants, prescribed stimulants, well, then of course that's going to cloud the um, the the issue of whether or not it's it yes. And and look, even things like um, uh, some uh, decongestants and and um, you know, nose and eye drops. And there's a few things that um, can give false positives. And and look, that people that have nose drops don't get um, lose their license. It's just a bit of um, if they're unlucky enough to get picked picked up for it there's just a bit of uh, clarification that's needed but um yeah there's a, there's a few false positives particularly with the swab is my understanding yeah so let's move on to the insurance uh re reports what kind of uh issues come up with insurance reports the the probably the most common um, insurance report these days is around um pharmaceutical opioids you know a lot of insurance claims and a lot of people on um insurance payments for work-related injuries um, are on nowadays um, uh, potent opioid analgesics, and um, there's a, a you know a, a driver for insurance companies to minimise their outlay. That's what they're not companies that give away money, um, and they're often uh, wanting to know is this um, uh, level of um, opioid use uh, justified? Is it is it um, do we need to be paying for this these amount of opioids, or are they escalating their um, opioid use um, for other reasons and should we be looking at treatment of, it, of drug dependence and um, and therefore we'll um, be able to reduce their opioids and maybe they'll get back to work uh, as well as um, not, not uh, consuming as many drugs. So that's the, the classic thing is around opioids these days because that's, you know, that, that fits together with the typical um, work-related injury that insurance companies manage. Uh, they're the main ones. So Really, what I'm hearing is that it's, it really is focusing around the diagnosis and what is and what is not opioid use disorder. Yeah, that a lot of those insurance claims around opioid use or, or opioids and the um, need for them are exactly that. Yes, is this yeah. um, uh, aberrant use? Is this an opioid use disorder? Is this a yeah. um, you know a, 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 an aberrant condition that needs uh, treatment, or is it just high? need for high doses of opioids because of a persisting pain. And that, as we both know, is notoriously difficult to work out, isn't it? it that, that distinction between having a few too many painkillers and uh, actual opioid use disorder is not is, is infrequently clear-cut. I, I find that personally very challenging to make that diagnosis sometimes. It is, and you can imagine, um, and, and uh, I think this is one of the issues that, that steer people away um, in the profession from doing this sort of work, you can imagine how um, tricky that is to encapsulate in a, in a couple of paragraphs um, with, and, 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 you know, being fair, um, not misleading, uh, uh, you know, I, I believe it's still, um, you know, we still have to uh, um, be ethical when we write these reports and sometimes what we write is not what the person that's paying us wants to hear, but that's... Um, uh, you know, I think that's the beauty of doing it. As as doctors, we can stick to we can stick to our um, integrity. We can maintain our integrity when we do this sort of work because we have to. Um, 
and and look most sometimes they don't use a report that the, the solicitors and the insurance companies that's not um, what they want to hear or what they want to present in a hearing um, but that's fine I mean um, other other people are write reports for for are um, very happy with what what they've got from me so and I, I suppose the key thing is that actually you've got to give your own independent opinion haven't you because the minute you start trying to placate one uh, you know the person who's paying for the report it just is a hiding to nothing wouldn't you say absolutely uh, um it's it's um you and, you know I, I think we've I, i've done it and i'm sure a lot of people have written these reports um in, in the early days you know we're we're about um pleasing our customers as mm. we want our patients to walk away happy we want people um we work for walk, walk away happy and you know in this situation we'd like the um person that's paying us to write a report to be uh, you know satisfied and happy with the report yeah. but it is yeah. a uh, rapid hole that you go down and um becomes really 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 tricky i think the easiest and the and the best reports are those that are based on the science the evidence the clinical experience and so on uh, uh, and that i think they serve the the client the best as well yeah i mean I, i've written some reports uh or rather i've 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 assessed some patients and i've said to them look you know if you want you want me to write a report that's going to say that you're fit to drive again but you know the, the, my report's not going to say that and unfortunately for me, I've uh, my patients have yet to pay my fees before they decide no longer that they no longer wish my opinion. But yeah, um, it's, it's a very tough. Look, I, I don't envy um, the general practitioner that has to write a report with integrity that's yeah. that's truthful and that they're happy with. But they sleep at night after writing. Um, I don't envy that uh, for a GP where you've got to maintain a relationship with a patient. Yeah. Someone's got to ask for money at the end of the process. In order to you know get paid and, and make a living, um, it's I don't I don't know the GP should be doing these at all, uh, frankly, because I think it's too. Um, and you you might be have done them as, with the with your addiction medicine specialist hat on. But yeah, I was referring of, to that role rather than my role as a GP. I I don't yeah. like um, I, I don't like blurring the boundary between being the patient advocate and being an independent medical examiner. Uh, I think I think those two are very distinct roles, and I think you know as GPs shouldn't actually occupy that role. I, I don't. I think it should be removed from them entirely. Because you absolutely, know, you, you I, I think this is, where, Sorry, go on. this is where we got into trouble with the um, the opioid crisis. I think to, to some extent it can be attributed to um, you know people wanting to care, wanting to give somebody what what they asked for, and wanting to really yeah. alleviate yeah. suffering and pain. Um, yeah. But it's a slippery slope with opioids, as we know. So let's move on to the other group of reports that you might be asked to write, which was the reports that the coroner might request from you. I mean, that's a very sad issue, isn't it? But it's nonetheless still very important. Yes, absolutely. There's uh, and there's a lot of um, implications to those reports because frequently the coroner is looking at um, some of your colleagues or some practitioners that you. May or may not know, but certainly they're looking at doctors quite often um, for contributing through negligence or, or through um, aberrant or inappropriate prescribing to the death of the of the individual that um, the, the coroner's case is focused on. So um, they're, um, they're and the stories are incredibly sad. And um, uh, what you've got to be cautious of is your emotional response and. Um, Looking at what the doctor's done and, and, and thinking, you know, using the old retros, retrospective scope, thinking that 
um, well, that was that was um, a, a really terrible thing that that doctor did. This guy's clearly a villain or clearly a, a, a fool and a, and, and negligent. Uh, you know, you've got to sort of, um, and it's tricky. It's hard to do. You've got to, I think, take a step back and say, well, this is what this doctor was presented with. What do you think most doctors would do? What would you do? Um, you haven't got um, a crystal ball to know this is going to lead to um, a tragedy or the death of the patient some months down the track. So what would, what would you do in that situation? In some cases, um, it's still a, a very poor decision or, a, or negligent care that's been applied. But uh, in many cases, it's um, the, the doctors uh, as um, affected by this as family and so on. It's, it's a very traumatic thing for everyone involved when um, there's an iatrogenic uh, death no, yeah. yeah, you have to be fair, and the, you know the, the the retrospectoscope or the reflexive colonoscopy. You know, it's um, <laughs> if you've ever been on the receiving end of that, it's it's a very discomforting experience. The the uh, the I, I've I've had to give evidence in court, and um, it you know you you're absolutely convinced that you've done the right thing, you know, and that, that really you any other reasonable individual would not have formed a different opinion and then of course when you have to explain your decisions in the cold light of day it's um it's a, it's a very very discomforting experience um, it is you, you've got family lawyers there often in, in the coroner's court I, mm. I was with a group of doctors giving a opinion on a very high profile case of a death recently and um i was one of only a, about three of the group of about a dozen um who, who thought the practice one of the doctors whose whose practice was kind of a component in leading to the death of this individual? Um, we we thought it was um, uh, a reasonable decision that the doctor made in in the management. Um, and and they asked, well, why? You know, you don't your colleagues don't have the same view. And I said, look, because um, I understand what it's like to be in this rush situation where resources and su resources and support are, are, are not there. Um, mm. You know, you know your best intention, your best efforts are limited by um, the factors beyond your control, and and so you know, in some cases, I don't think that's negligent. Um, it's not good practice, um, and and we can own that. We we can acknowledge that, but it's um, not necessarily um, a, you know very bad practice or um, negligent yeah. practice. I mean, that, that's the thing. You're judged by the Council of Perfection, or at least you're judged against the Council of Perfection, aren't you? And, and, and you know, uh, the Council of Perfection thrives in a, in a, in a resource-rich setting. And, you know, quite frankly, most of us, I would argue, don't work in the environment the, uh, as, as resource-rich an environment as we would like. Correct, correct. And, and you know, um, yeah, that, that, it's, it's, I think it's so easy to look back and... and I'm not any sort of apologist for doctors that uh, make errors, honestly, but um, I think it's very easy for us to look back and, and uh, point yeah. fingers. And it's a lot harder but for family as well, I think, to say, you know, th this is a, a, a multi, a, there's a multiple causes to this. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no, we can't blame anyone. We can't blame the drug company. We can't mm -hmm. blame the individual. We can't blame the doctors. Yeah, it's a Swiss cheese effect. You know, all the role, all the holes in the Swiss cheese have to align for the error to occur. And it's very easy to blame, you know, the high-profile doctor or, or to accuse someone Absolutely. of negligence. I, I'd much rather. I wasn't. I, I'd much rather be able to hang my head on somebody 
uh, uh, you know, who, having caused this, then be told, well, just it was just bad luck. It was just unfortunate, you know. Mm. Uh, it's, 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 I don't think family want to hear that. Yeah. So therein lies the therein lies the expertise of report writing, isn't it? I mean, so so what advice would you give to someone who's who's thinking about doing a report? Look, I, I think that one of the reasons I I, I thought this was a, a field that I wanted to get into was also that um, it was at a time when our specialty was in its early its early days, and and we were frankly struggling to to get recognition um, by in, in, you know, tertiary treatment institutions and, and struggling to get traineeships up and running and uh, consultants positions up and running in hospitals and so on. And I thought, look, we need to have, uh, in this situation, we can't afford not to be broad in our, um, our uh, abilities and our um, uh, uh, clinical skills or skills. And um, so I think it's... Uh, the same thing still applies. It's good to have a few strings for your boat, so to speak. And, and, and I think I'd encourage people, um, you know, to, to consider this as, 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 as you really do learn a lot by doing the, these reports. They're incredibly interesting. It's really interesting work. Um, uh, you know, I think most of it is much more interesting than the seeing patients, in fact, because um, that's got its own rewards and benefits and um, pluses. But this stuff um, is, is very rich, a lot of this work. And, uh, um, yeah, I, I don't think um, – I think anyone can do it who's got those skills and knowledge. You don't have to be a, uh, you know, a Pulitzer Prize-winning author or um, be able to write beautiful prose. you you just got to be able to slog at it and, and be prepared to spend a bit of time early on in your uh, reports to get them nice and clear and uh, concise. and. Um, it's like anything, I think, writing this is practice. So what are the pitfalls? There's a number of pitfalls, and, and one of them is getting paid. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, um, it, so, you know, it's not like uh, there's no Medicare for these reports. They're often, um, and quite appropriately, uh, a lot of money that you, you're billing people um, to do these reports. And and, um, and that's another pitfall, but not that, that people, and I've been guilty of this, I think undersell themselves. They they charge far too little for for what is uh, that you know you putting in not only a lot of time but the culmination of all your skills. Um, so what? But one of the biggest pitfalls I think is um, that you've got to really um, be um, uh, committed to what you're writing. You've got to you've got to understand that this is not um, a report that that people look at and then gets pop, uh, filed away never to be seen again. Some cases that'll happen, but in many cases, this um, it comes back to haunt you. Um, and you know, you want to be haunted by a friendly ghost. You know, um, it comes back to haunt you when there's a court case, when there's a coroner's case, and they want you to appear. And I think these a pitfall. These these reports and these cases can go on for quite some time, and uh, no one can predict where they're going to go. So some reports that I've done, I thought were over. I've submitted. I've been paid for them, and um, then you know, several months down the track. I get this um, ominous uh, subpoena and I'm not in any trouble, but um, I am expected to, to give evidence or provide a, a report to the court or whatever. Um, you know, that's, that's and, you know, most of us have day jobs and um, it's, it's often quite difficult to organise a court appearance at a very time consuming when you've got a, a full-time job. So I think that's one of the people, but also about um, uh, being committed and, and uh, you know, accurate and, and um, definite and 
honest in what you write is important. For the same reasons that it might come back later and people will pour through it. The, the client that you've written about will, uh, the, the, you know, the patient or the patient's family will look at it. Um, so you, you've got to, um, uh, it's not like um, our medical notes we might write back. They get, they certainly get seen, but um, not as often as these by everybody, by the, by the patient, by the um, their family, um, and, and they'll pick it apart as do the solicitors on both sides. So, uh, yeah, you, you've got to be uh, careful and committed to what you're writing. Yeah, yeah. Look, on that note, I think we've run out of time, Matthew, but I really want to thank you for your expertise on this subject, and I really hope that we can speak again very shortly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's all for today from Cracking Addiction. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and we'll see you next time.